It's my privilege to be here this morning. The last time I was here, let's say the last time I was in Community Baptist Church, it was in a, another school. Can't tell, tell you right where it is now, but uh, and then you've moved once since then. I missed that one. I got this one. Maybe I'll get the next one. Who knows? But that's good. That's a sign of the, the blessing of God. We certainly appreciate what your pastor is doing and his uh, fellowship with the seminary and that of this church. Uh, as he said about this church, in one sense, uh, Detroit Baptist Seminary also has a family. And, uh, and we're glad to include churches like this, like Faith and Practice, in that very, very circle. I'm sorry my wife Daisy cannot be here this morning. She's in Fort Wayne with our daughter. And uh, so we, didn't, uh, we couldn't connect for this Sunday. And so I'm going to have to speak without her help this morning. You know, you look down, you, you get a nod, you get a, you know, uh, that type of thing. And uh, so, so I'm winging it by myself today. Turn in your Bibles, please, the Old Testament to the book of Proverbs. I've been reading and thinking about the book of Proverbs the last, oh, several weeks. I usually carry a, a very small NIV New Testament with Proverbs and Psalms. And so I like to take it out and read it whenever it's convenient. And uh, Daisy and I just have come back from a trip uh, to Europe. We were there together for a week in Switzerland. We come from Bern, Indiana. So guess where we spent some time? In Bern, Switzerland, some of our relatives' names and people are still there. And a week before that, my son and I were on the beaches of Normandy for a week, and uh, that was extremely informative. But anyway... On the way back uh, from Geneva to uh, Newark, I penned a, a lot of notes that I've been thinking about in a little piece of paper, and I've tried to put them together in a little bit better form. So if I'm not quite you know, articulate like I would like to be, uh, bear with me. And I may read a little more than I normally do from uh, my message, but... Uh, it's something I think we all need to hear. Wisdom and how to get it is my point. Wisdom and how to get it. I am not saying wisdom and how I got it, because I'm so bright, or I outsmarted everybody. It's not a topic such as humility and how I attained it at all. But let's begin with a series of questions how to pave the way to what we're going to talk about. I might ask, what in essence is the Christian life? You ever think about that? What in essence? What is the hard core? What is it all about to be a Christian in today's world? What exactly ends up being the Christian journey that we talk about? Or what is the specific lifelong Christian experience about? What is it like? How does one live in a sinful world? How does one live successfully in a, such a context that we have all around us? Sin and depravity and wickedness and selfishness and deceit and all the rest. How do you navigate a world like that? 
that's full of booby traps and pitfalls and potholes and all of that sort of thing. Well, it takes what I call, the Bible calls, wisdom. How do you navigate a world that, if you'll pardon expression, is going to hell in a handbasket? I think you know what that means. Well, that's our point this morning. Let's turn to the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7, sometimes called the preamble, sometimes called the prologue of the book, and uh, thread our way through some of these thoughts. Wisdom and how to get it. Notice in chapter 1, I'll just read verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair or virtuous, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the essence of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Take a look at verse 1 here at the title. The Proverbs of Solomon. A proverb is simply a short saying, perhaps, maybe an object that is memorable, that is easy to grasp and propagate, and that sort of thing. And these proverbs come from the hand of a king in ancient Israel by the name of Solomon, the son of David. So about 900 years before Christ, we're talking about what this says. And of course there are those who say, well you Christians, you you worship an, a God uh, that, that's so ancient and you, you go into a, a, a culture-bound book that was written thousands of years ago. What does that have to do with today? Well friends, it has everything to do with today. The Word of God is living and powerful. And what it said for those back there 2,900 years ago it says to us this morning, just as clearly, just as articulated as it ever did back there when it was first given. Proverbs is part of what we call the wisdom literature of the Bible. Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Wisdom literature. We want to define what that is in due course. But we're talking about that very thing. Now, let's move on to verses 2 and following. And take a look here at the purpose of the book. You notice there are four, F-O-U-R, four, fours, F-O-R's, okay? Notice verse 2, for attaining wisdom and discipline, it's understanding, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for giving prudence to the simple, for understanding proverbs and parables. Uh, notice through these words that I just read, uh, these verbs, attaining wisdom, understanding, acquiring a disciplined life, doing what is right, 
giving prudence, or in this case it would be receiving prudence, as we are concerned, and uh, for understanding the things of God. And then you have these words that seem to begin to build and sort of compound each other. But I, I, I'm here to say that as far as we're concerned, for this morning, and as far as I think the, God, the, the Bible is concerned, we can consider all of these words basically to say one thing, and that is wisdom. It's called, for example, uh, discipline, prudence, insight, knowledge. These are all basically synonyms. One author says this is kind of a, a rainbow of terms that uh, all say essentially the same thing, wisdom. So let's talk about wisdom as we take a look here at the purpose of the book. The meaning of wisdom, what do we, what do we mean? And all these words that are basically synonyms. What is the meaning of wisdom? Well, the word comes from, a, from an idea that, that encompasses skill, okay? Wisdom has to do with skill. Discipline, another word here, has to do with training. Training your moral sensitivities, training yourself in what is right and wrong and the will of God and, and what the scriptures have to say. Discipline. May I just say that the wisdom we're talking about does not come easily. You don't put a quarter in the vending machine and out comes a, a pill full of wisdom. It's work, dear friends. It takes discipline to have a life that is controlled by biblical wisdom. It takes study. It takes application. It takes meditation. Now, I don't want to destroy anybody's Christian life this morning, but it's not just a happy, happy, happy thing to be a, to be a believer. And uh, too many are looking for some kind of an experience that will just lift them out of this world, as it were, and give them some kind of an orbit where everything is smooth and it just, it, well, it doesn't exist, I'll tell you right now. It takes work. It takes sanctified application. One said that wisdom is the ability to make wise choices and live successfully, talking about these people back here, according to the moral standards of the covenant community, which would be Israel and the, and the word of God. I notice that your pastor is having a uh, session today on money and investment. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It takes wisdom. You can't just, you just can't make a snap judgment on that and, and myriads of other things that life brings our way. It takes wisdom. It's the key, really, to having capability in life. Wisdom is that which enables us to meet life as it comes at us. And it comes at us through the providence, the sovereignty, the wisdom, and the love of Almighty God. You believe that? You see, if you don't understand this part of it, you're dead, you're sunk. Life meets us because it has been directed, every facet, by the living and the true God. For example, he could not sustain a more 
personal. He could not have a more self-conscious relationship with this universe than he has had and that he is having this very moment. We talk about God, number one, planned the universe. I believe he planned it down to the very last detail, every speck of cosmic dust, every snowflake, everything has been planned in, in self-conscious detail in eternity past under his wisdom and sovereignty. Can you swallow that? I hope you can, because it's the truth. And if you can't, then you're going to be bobbing uh, and floating in a, in a shoreless ocean of absolute chance and whatever. God could not be more involved. He planned it. We call this his will. We call this his decree. God made the universe self-consciously. Call it creation. He made everything in distinction from himself. Everything that is not God is what I'm talking about as the world or the universe. God planned it. God made it. God upholds it. Did you know that? Every last detail of this universe with all its laws and properties and powers and processes, they're all getting today the full self-conscious attention of the living God in upholding. It's through Jesus Christ, Paul said, that all things hold together. They hold together. They consist. Not only does God make, plan, make, and Sustained, but he also controls the universe. Call that providence. He controls every movement to its preordained, to its pre-planned goal. Every facet, every object, every event, every person, every exchange of energy has been planned, made, upheld, controlled by God. Now, it's in that context that biblical wisdom then operates. This is what we meet in life, not some sheer, blind, irrational happenstance. Not at all. That's the only alternative, by the way, if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God and what I've just described. What is the alternative? Absolute, sheer, blind, irrational chance. You're floating in, a, as I say, a shoreless ocean of pure randomness. I don't want to get too uh, intellectual here because that's beyond me, but uh, pure randomness. That's a world where anything can happen. I don't live in that world. I do not choose to live in that world. God forbid that we should think about living in that world. That's apostate thinking to shut God out. No, God is self-consciously involved in every last detail of your life of this whole universe. It's hard to grasp that, but that is still true. God could not be more pervasively involved than he is. So wisdom, in that case, is this. It's the skillful application of the revelation of God to all of life as it meets us in the purpose, the plan, the ultimate sovereignty of Almighty God. Now, to me, that's comforting. Others say that's a straitjacket. We want significant freedom. We want to do our thing. 
There's a whole movement out, out there in, in so-called evangelical circles that uh, doesn't believe this, that says that we live in a world that has pockets of novelty and randomness and chance and, uh, and, and, and things that God cannot even foreknow, much less control, until they happen. So they have no omnipotent God. They have an omnicompetent God, God who can cope, thankfully, but that's about it. I don't live in that world. That's apostate thinking, friends. If you follow that out, you'll go straight to hell because God is left out of the picture. And when that happens, you're on the broad way. Now, according to chapter 1, 1 to 7, let me just summarize these things I've been talking about here, these various synonyms, and sort of uh, classify them in three ways. First of all, the wisdom of God, according to this uh, set here, is practical. It's practical. It's biblical common sense. You know, from the farm, we used to talk about good old-fashioned horse sense. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here come from the farm? Not too many. But uh, you know what I'm talking about. Good old-fashioned, common, sanctified horse sense. Biblical wisdom, folks, is practical. It's not just theoretical. It's not what you learn in a philosophy class. Wisdom seeks to look behind the tensions of everyday life. Why? What for? What's God doing? What does his word say about these kinds of circumstances? Biblical wisdom wants to resolve these kinds of things that come at us in real life. To see the realities that are behind certain things that come our way. Have you ever been around a mature Christian and things happen and they know God, they know the Word of God, they've walked the path of, uh, of the Christian experience, they have maturity in the things of Christ, and they just seem almost instantly to size up what's going on. For friends, that's a comfort to be around those kind of people. They don't get lost in, in, in emotion, their glands don't kick in and everything else kicks out uh, at all. They just, they, they've got it sized up. And they know, in effect, what is going on, what to do about it, what the Word of God says, how to negotiate, whatever. That's why we say it is practical. If you, turn, if you uh, remember back in 1 Samuel 18, David was fleeing from Saul. And uh, from one pillar to the next post and one cave to another and all of that. And 1 Samuel 18 gives us the key to David's survival. It says there at least four times that David behaved himself wisely in the King James. And I think here too, he behaved himself wisely. He knew what to do. He sized up Saul. <laughs> he sized up the situation. He understood God. He understood the covenant. He understood the future. He understood these things. He had wisdom, so he behaved himself wisely in a very unwise world. King Saul, you know, sinned away the prison that God had given him to become king. He was, after all, just a farmer, just a country bumpkin, remember? Out looking for his father's lost donkeys. 
stumbled at uh, Samuel's house and found the kingdom, <laughs> as it were. And, uh, and God gave him the ability to rule. But he sinned that all away in his selfishness and all of that. And he got down to the point where he was actually demented. And David was, uh, was in the court, and as well as Jonathan. Remember Saul would go into these melancholy spells, and David would have to play the harp to calm him down. Well, sometimes Saul had the nasty habit of throwing spears at people that he didn't like. Fortunately, he was a poor shot and missed every time. And the people began to look around and say, boy, the palace walls begin to look like a dartboard. Something must be wrong with the king. Well, in that kind of a mess, you see, David could behave himself wisely. It's practical. Wisdom is practical. It comes right down to the nitty-gritty. It's intellectual. This is so important, friends. God gave us minds. God gave us what we call the spirit, the seat of our very personality, the ability to think, to reason. The Holy Spirit articulates with that very function of our being. And thus we get guidance and learning and understanding. Too many Christians, and I'm sure you've heard this before, follow not the Word of God, not their thinking as controlled by the Spirit in the Scriptures, but by their glands. Have you ever counseled? Well, you'd have to be a pastor or something, but here comes a couple, you know, they, they want to get married. I mean, both their hearts are pounding out of their chest cavities and... And, uh, and they all know, they're convinced, it's the Lord's will. They're convinced. You might as well talk at a stump as to try and convince them otherwise. But it's just the glands, I'll tell you. Really. They're no more suited for each other than, you know. They don't know any more about being a Christian and having, in the sense of having a Christian home and, and, and stewardship of life. They're just kids. They don't know any more about that, as we say, than a hog knows about Sunday. And that's not very much. But they feel it's the Lord's will. It's glandular. Do you ever think about that? When we say we have peace about something, I know what is being said. I understand the point. But aren't we kind of looking at the glands here a little bit too much? I think what is really being said when we say we have this decision and then we have peace about it, I think what we really mean is, I've made the decision. <laughs> the struggle is gone. Uh, but it's not that we have these options and one of them pops out. No, we don't want glandular Christianity. The Bible talks about understanding here in Proverbs. It talks about knowledge. It talks about the use of the of that decision-making apparatus that God has placed within the human personality. It's practical, it's intellectual, and it's also moral. Wisdom deals with right and wrong. What is fair? What is equitable? Self-control. Discipline. That's what we're talking about this morning. I know there's, there is wisdom out there in God's common grace. He allows people to understand and have insight into certain things. I mean, I stand before you this morning 
by the grace of God, having survived two bouts with the big C, one of the finest hotels in this part of the country is in the uh, St. Joe Mercy Hospital in Ypsilanti. I can testify to that. But, but, but those surgeons and those people have a great deal of wisdom. Thank God for it. I wouldn't belittle it. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about wisdom that has moral purpose. And that can be used for that very same thing. I understand. But we're talking about wisdom that is moral, that deals with right and wrong. That which is virtuous. That's that sort of thing. Well, I hope you get an idea of what wisdom is as to its meaning. Now, no, notice the source of it in verse 7. The source of this wisdom is what's called here, well, in other places as well. It, is, it boils down to the revelation of God. This knowledge, it's the covenant, it's the scriptures, it's the instruction, it's the, it, it has to do with the words of the Father and the Mother's teaching, verse 8, for example. What are we talking about here? This isn't just common traditional horse sense that comes down that you can get in the farmer's almanac or anything like that. These are words and commands. For example, chapter 2, verse 1, wisdom has commands and words. Notice in chapter 5 and verse 1, just for example, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. What is wisdom? It's, it's a personification. It's, it's a her, in this case, she. But that's, the, that's the, the secret of the whole thing, dear friends. Bringing to bear the revelation of God skillfully to everyday life. As it comes at us with all of whatever. Now, it's true. A lot of the wisdom in the book of Proverbs comes from what we might say is is uh, nature or general revelation or creation true? The cure, for example, of uh, indolence and laziness and sloth. The antidote for that in chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, is to look, pardon the pun, at the ant. What, is, what do ants do? <laughs> Well, that gives you some idea. However, don't forget, it's what the Bible tells us about the ant. That is important. I've heard sermons not based on the ant necessarily, but on a lot of words that have really no bearing on what is meant here. No, the things of this life, nature, have meaning as they are interpreted by the Scripture. That's where wisdom comes in. And we have to be careful what we say, well, look at this. this well, what would you learn if I said, well, look at the hippopotamus? Well, I know of nothing in the word of God that would lead me to have some kind of a directive. Because this has to govern all these things. Only the word of God provides the correct, what we call, world view. That, that milieu, that... Uh, that uh, source of looking at things correctly. Only the Word of God comes down to that. Only it can make sense out of life's particulars. You know, we get into the particulars. That's what makes life nasty, doesn't it? 
But particulars have to have what we call universals. There have to be general principles that govern the particulars. You take, for example, mathematics. Numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 in and of themselves mean absolutely nothing. Chaos. It takes the laws of mathematics to make the particulars meaningful. Take the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. What, is that, what does that do? Write it across the board. Write it across the whole school, if you like. It means nothing, except you have the laws of grammar and syntax. Same with the, with the notes of music on a, on a sheet of music. What are they? They're just blobs of ink, as it were. But no, there are laws. There are universals. Friends, here is where the overarching picture is. This is where the, the principles, the universals that take care of the details, the particulars of our life. Moving on, let's take a look now at the foundation of this wisdom. Now down to verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. This idea is repeated nearly 20 times in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Or the word beginning means sort of, it could mean the first principle in that sense of the term, the first thing you do. But it can also mean the very essence, the very quality, the very heart, the very genius, of, the very choice part of something. Wisdom's genius is wrapped up in this whole thing called the fear of the Lord. What is that? Well, when I was a young person, even as a Christian, I had the idea that you, you feared the Lord like you feared the principle. And, and, and when I was a little boy, we had a principle that was absolutely no nonsense. Now, he'd be sued to high heaven and thrown in jail today, but uh, I'll tell you. Uh, you didn't cross him without uh, without paying the penalty. And that kind of stuck with me. My father was a little bit like that, by the way. He was an austere man, and in one sense I feared him. didn't want to cross him. If I wanted anything, I went to mom because she was, you know. Uh, but, but that's not the point. People take a look at these compound words and say, well, here is the word fear, here is the word Lord, and they do an exhaustive study of those particular words, friends, that, that doesn't, really, doesn't really do it. You can study butter until you're blue in the face. You can understand all about flies. But I'll tell you, you won't know one scintilla of truth about a butterfly. See, it goes together. Great nuts is neither grapes nor nuts. You have to take a look at the whole thing. What is the fear of the Lord? It is simply boiled down to what we call saving and living faith. That's it. That's Old Testament language for faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The very essence, the biblical idea of fear is trust, obedience. It's the relationship of love with God. We've, we've sung many songs this morning. Testifying to that fact, we are saying verbally, we confess Jesus is Lord. We confess the finished work of Christ as the only ticket that we'll ever have to get to glory. 
That's what fear of the Lord is all about. The opposite in verse 10 is simply foolishness. Fools despise everything we've been talking about this morning. The fear of the Lord is the very essence or the beginning, the the choice part of all we've been talking about. So here we have it. A clear biblical picture from the Old Testament of what pervades the entire scriptures, and that is that the whole human race falls into one of two categories. The wise or the fool. The saved or the unsaved. The righteous and the wicked. The day people and the night people. 1 Thessalonians 5. Spirit people and fleshly people. People in the light. People in darkness. The godly and the ungodly. The spiritually alive and living and the spiritually dead. Those on the narrow way to life eternal. Those on the broad way to hell and destruction. It's always been that way. These are unmixed categories. You're either in one or the other. And how do you get into the wisdom category, out of the foolish category? The fear of the Lord. Saving faith. Trusting in what we sang about, what we heard, in the, in the, even to, before this very message. The finished work of Christ. Have you done that this morning? You know what it means to have forgiveness? You have the fear of the Lord, that relationship of love and trust and obedience. That only comes from the new birth and the new nature. So let's conclude here with what I call a concluding exhortation and a warning. Which brings us back to verse 5. So you're here this morning, you're saved, you've got Bible for it, you know it, you're born again, you love the Lord, you're trying to serve Him, your general direction is always in the things of Christ. You've changed power realms from that of the flesh, Romans 6, to that of the spirit and all of that sort of thing. What about the wise? Can we just coast on that? No. Let the wise listen. How long have you been walking with the Lord? Well, you never run out of need to add to your learning. Or really, we're talking here about wisdom. You know, we call this in the New Testament language simply progressive sanctification. That's all it is. Or it is the perseverance of the saints. These things come inevitably, but not automatically, with the new birth. There's been no change. There's been no difference. Then what right do we have to say we are born again? No, each new hearing of wisdom, every time you come in contact with the scriptures, each new hearing should increase our skill in living. Now, I've been on the road for a long time. Uh, As your bulletin says, I finally entered into uh, more like full retirement, uh, living off Uncle Sam and a little life scrape together. Um, I I hung on pretty long. You know, you're supposed to retire, what, 65? And uh, I I, I went beyond that, of course. I was born way back in 1915, and so I'm, (laughs) I'm... well qualified to hang it up, head for the tall weeds where it's uh, you know nice and calm and warm and that sort of thing. But you know, you can't stop on this 
subject right here. You don't retire. Every time you hear the word of God, if you're sensitive and if you have a desire for spiritual things, you want to add to your skills in serving Christ. Ephesians 5.10 has a very simple verse and, and the context you'll have to look at. But, but, the, but the amazing thing is this, that believers, he says, are trying to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. That takes, understand, that takes wisdom. And these wisdom issues come at us. And friends, I want to say this is a slow and incremental process. This wisdom getting. We want an immediate, an immediate something. I just got something on my email yesterday from some, I never, you, you know, you get these ads that are a pain in the neck. And I think this was relaxity. I thought at first it was some kind of a cathartic, but it turns out to be sort of a way that you just calm yourself down and, uh, you know, just meet life. And uh, but, but they kept using this word, fast. Do it fast. It'll do immediate. It'll blah, blah, blah. This doesn't come that way, dear friends. The spiritual life, the life of wisdom is no different really from physical life. It is by slow, incremental growth. Here a little, there a little. You can't just have an experience that just bypasses 20 years of walking with Christ and God's people and the Word of God. Then there's also not only an exhortation, there is here contained indirectly a warning. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. If one will not accept the call of wisdom, notice chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud in the street, in effect saying, you must be born again, you must come under the authority of the word of God, and all of that calls out. How long, verse 22, will you go on in your simple, your naive, your, your gullible, you know, uh, foolish ways? But since you rejected me, God says, I'll reject you. It's as simple as that. And so this morning, as believers, how do we measure up? Are we adding to our wisdom, to our learning? And the rest of that verse, chapter 1, verse 8, talks about, or chapter 1, verse 5, talks about the discerning get guidance. A wonderful thing to be able to size up life and in terms of what's going on and what shall come and have that kind of a direction stability in the Christian experience let's pray our father and our God we're thankful today for what we have in the Word of God thank you for the ability for for that uh, work of the Spirit that enables us to comprehend, to apply, though incrementally, to gather our store of wisdom. Help us, our Father, to make life not only something that we can endure, but a teaching experience, something that we can navigate with joy. With joy can we lift, lift up our head. Maybe it's through tear-filled eyes. Maybe it's with a broken heart. Maybe it's with disappointment and whatever. 
But in the last analysis, we serve the living and the true, the loving, the joyful God. Bless these words to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.